This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me to the gospel according to Mark. The gospel according to Mark. Chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9. It has been wonderful to be with God's people in his house today. And to hear you sing. And to think that the Lord delights in hearing the singing of his people. As we have sought to praise him and magnify his name today. Mark chapter number 9, we began looking at this text last week, and we've been dealing with the thought, the dangers along the road of discipleship. In verse number 30 down through Uh, Verse number 41, we have been introduced to two of those dangers already. The danger of division as the disciples disputed among the way concerning who would be the greatest among them. That is uh, human nature, is it not? That we are all in some sort of a rivalry to see who can be the top dog who can get the most recognition, who can make the most money, who can have the most power. That's something that impacts all of us. And uh, the root of that, of course, is pride, the original sin. And the attitude that the Lord Jesus Christ is correcting uh, here in these verses uh, is, of course, the attitude of pride. Pride is the elevation of one's self. Pride is thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And pride leads to division. That was danger number one. We looked at it last Sunday morning. Also last Sunday evening, we looked at danger number two. That's the danger of exclusion. The danger of exclusion. Remember the disciples saw a man who was casting out devils in the name of Jesus. But as we read, that they said twice, he followeth not us, so we forbade him. We become exclusive in nature, demanding that people be followers of us, our group, that they line up with everything that we say, and if not, we have a tendency to be very dismissive of people. And so we saw the danger of division and the danger of exclusion. So we come to verse number 42 this morning. The Lord is dealing with the danger of corruption, corruption. Pride leads to division, and pride leads to exclusion, but also I want you to see that pride leads to corruption. And we note these verses beginning in verse number 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed, than having two hands to go into hell 
into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. It's some very strong language that we find here. We see the Lord Jesus as he speaks to them about their hand, their foot, and their eye. And in clear, distinct terms, he says it is better to cut it off or to pluck it out than it is to enter into hell. The Bible says in hell, as the Lord Jesus described it here, the fire is not quenched and their worm dieth not. I think it's a very serious and a very sober conversation that the Lord Jesus Christ is dealing here with his disciples. And lest we forget, there was one among the 12 who did not believe and who died after betraying the Son of God and entered into eternity. So there's a very serious warning here concerning the danger of corruption, the danger of sin. And I want us to pray together, and we'll note three things after we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can approach your word together. We thank you that we have the Holy Spirit to teach us and instruct us, to reveal to us your truth, and to convict us concerning our own pride, our own corruption, and warn us concerning the seriousness of hell. So I pray that you would have our attention today, that you would speak to us, that you would enable me. Lord, there's no way that in myself that I can adequately express the thoughts of this passage except the Holy Ghost empower me and fill me. And so I pray that you would help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to note three things, and if you're writing them down, I hope, I hope you are. I want you to write this down. Number one, the severity of sin. The severity of sin. Sin is a very serious matter because sin corrupts and sin destroys everything it touches. But sin is very deceitful and it is very subtle. There's a tendency that uh, we have when we're involved in sin to to deceive ourselves to think that it is not as serious as God sees it. And oftentimes we really don't see it for the danger that it has presented to us. And we sort of have a tendency to, to pet our sin. 
to excuse our sin away and not to deal with it. But the Bible teaches us here in this passage that sin must be dealt with as an oncologist would deal with the cancerous cells within the body of his patient. So the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to his disciples concerning their sin and the fact that they must deal with it. Now, there are three very powerful effects of sin that are listed in this text, and uh, we see them. Notice, if you would, please, again in verse 42, and whosoever shall offend, the word offend there means to cause to stumble. It's not immediately the definition that comes to our mind today, but it means to cause to stumble. And so he says, and whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. Uh, Here we see the Lord Jesus has taken a child, and he is using this child to demonstrate a great truth that uh, those who come to the Lord must come as a child, and his people must receive those who come to the Lord as little children. And we must understand that what separates the children of God from the unbelievers is the fact that those who are the children of God have believed in him. Not everybody in this world is a child of God. We are the people of God by the fact of creation, but to become a child of God, you must become a child of God in the family of God by the act of redemption, the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross to redeem us of our sins and to bring us into his family. John chapter 1 and verse 12, to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. And so he's dealing here with believers, and we find that sin is serious, especially in light of this, when it causes other believers to stumble when it causes other believers to stumble, when our sin becomes a stumbling block for other people, it is a very serious thing. Perhaps we would uh, involve others to participate in our sin. I want you to know that the Lord Jesus said that's a very serious offense. Or perhaps we would fail to encourage others in righteousness, as the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 10. And to the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a very serious offense. You see, we, we oftentimes think, well, it's my life. I can do what I want. But if you're a believer, it is not your life. It is his life in you. You are not your own, Paul said. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are the Lord's. And when we are are, are carried away by the corruptive forces of sin, it has a tendency to cause other people to stumble. And the Lord says, I want you, my disciples, to understand this. It's a very serious thing. It's a very serious thing, not only because it causes other believers to stumble, but it's a very serious thing because it causes us as the individual to stumble. Notice the language that he uses in verse 43, and if thy hand offend thee. Then notice in verse 45, and if thy foot offend thee. And then again in verse number 47, and if thine eye offend thee. Not only can sin cause others to stumble, but sin left unchecked, undealt with in our lives can cause us to stumble and fall into a state 
of sin. And then thirdly, we see in verses 49 and 50 that it causes unbelievers to continue in their stumbling headlong into hell. You see, when sin comes into the life of a Christian, it hurts him. It hurts those around him who know the Lord, and it hurts those who do not know the Lord because they, as unbelievers, see sin in the lives of God's children, and therefore they are discouraged from coming to know the Lord. And so sin is a very serious matter, and therefore it must be dealt with very severely. Notice the words that the Lord uses in dealing with sin. Verse 43 and if thy hand offend thee, would you read the next three words with me? Cut it off. Then notice again in verse 45, and if thy foot offend thee, would you read those words with me? Cut it off. And then you'll see in verse 47, and if thine eye offend thee, would you read the next three words with me? Pluck it out. Here we see the severity of sin. The Lord says, cut it off verse 43, cut it off, verse 45, and pluck it out, verse 47. Now, he's dealing with three areas of our lives, our hands, our feet, and our eyes. Now, what kind of command is this that the Lord Jesus has given to us? Is he saying literally, if I touch something I shouldn't touch or I do something I shouldn't do with my hands, I should cut my hand off? Or if I look at something I should not look at, I see something I should not see that introduces sinful temptations to me. Therefore, I should pluck it out, just physically take it and pluck it out. Is that what he is saying here? Is he saying that if I go somewhere, if I walk or get astray from the path of righteousness on my feet, is he saying that I should literally cut my foot off? Is that what he's saying? No, that is not what he is saying. He is dealing here in a very serious way with sin using figurative language because he's trying to communicate a very important point to these disciples. This is not something that can remain in your life as a believer, sin. Sin in the area of our hands, that's what we do. Sin in the area of our feet and where we go. Sin as it deals with our eyes and what we see and what we look at. And the Lord says you cannot allow that to just remain in your life. You, you cannot call uh, yourself a disciple. You cannot be a believer in me and do anything you want to and give place to sin and the devil because it will destroy you. It will not only destroy you, it will destroy others, and it will cause others to continue on the road to destruction and eternal damnation in a place called hell. It's a very serious warning that the Lord Jesus Christ is giving. So when he says cut it off, what does he mean? Well, I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 6 because here we have an explanation. As the Apostle Paul is writing concerning sin and the presence of sin in the life of a believer. The Apostle Paul considered himself to be a sinner. He said, he said uh, that this is a worthy saying, a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, Paul said, of whom I am chief. He recognized that he was a sinner. By the way, we're all sinners today. 
We're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have a sin nature. And we do things in opposition to God and God's word because of the nature within us. Now, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a new nature. You have uh, the nature of the Holy Spirit, the nature of the new birth imparted to you, the life of God. And there is a struggle taking place in your heart as a Christian, as a believer. The struggle is the struggle of righteousness versus sin. Galatians chapter 5 speaks of the fact that the the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And he says, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would, the things that ye ought, because these two are contrary to one another. The Spurgeon said, don't let that struggle, don't let that struggle discourage you. Rather, be encouraged that that struggle is in you, because that is evidence that you are a Christian. The struggle that takes place between, as Paul described it in Romans 7, I want to do right, but I can't, and I don't want to do wrong, but I keep doing it. Have you ever been there? (laughs) You say, yeah, I live there. Well, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. And that struggle should not discourage us or disturb us. It should really encourage us. But if you don't have that struggle, well, then that's, that's, that's a reason to be concerned this morning. If you just like to go on in your sin without any, without any struggle of righteousness within your heart, without any wrestling, uh, that is evidence that you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and the Holy Ghost does not live within you. But now he's dealing with this sin and how we must deal with it. And I want you to look at Romans chapter 6 and verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein now he's dealing with a question of since we're forgiven by grace is it okay just to do what we want to and sin and the answer to that question is no and then he makes this statement in verse number two we are dead to sin look at verse five for if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death we shall also we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be, what's the next word? Destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So here he's speaking about the body of sin, the tendency of sin in our lives, that we're dead to sin, and this body of sin must be destroyed. Look at verse number 12 of Romans chapter 6. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body as a Christian, I am not to allow sin to reign in my fleshly body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members. What is the member? Well, that's the hand, that's the eyes, that's the feet. That's a member of my body. He said, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Then I invite you to go with me to chapter 8 and verse number 12. Chapter number 8 and verse number 12. We find out that as believers, uh, positionally we are dead to sin. That does not mean that we do not have sin residing in us. But we understand that by the nature of the death and resurrection of Christ, we are dead to sin, and we can live in the victory of the 
life of the Holy Spirit and uh, enjoy victory over sin. We do not have to be in bondage to sin. And when we find sin in our lives, we are to put it to death. Now, Paul sums this up for us here in Romans chapter 8 and verse uh, number 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall, what's the word, church? Die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. If you want to enjoy the victorious life that Jesus Christ has promised, then as believers, there's something you and I must do. We must mortify the flesh. We must mortify the deeds of the flesh. When sin comes into our lives, it's not something to be excused away. It's not something to be uh, petted and, and adored. It is something to be dealt with swiftly and decisively, emphatically. It is to be mortified. It is to be put to death. That attitude, that attitude of jealousy, confess it and put it to death. Uh, that lust, uh, that, 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 that lustful thought, uh, that is to be put to death. If, if your cell phone offends you, cut it off. This is what he's speaking about. Deal with sin. Deal with it. If there's anger and bitterness and resentment in your heart, deal with it. Cut it off. Take it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. Sin is serious and sin will destroy. And I want you to see the severity of sin. I think in our culture in this age, we just sort of have gotten used to it. Like it's just something that we have to deal with, and it's going to be okay. That is not the attitude that the Lord Jesus Christ has regarding our sin. Deal with it. Cut it off. Not only here in this passage do we see the severity of sin, but we see a second thing. We see the suffering of hell. The suffering of hell. Now we see the Lord's warnings of the dreadful suffering of hell in verses 43 through 48 of Mark chapter number 9. I want you to go back with me if you have turned to the book of Romans. Go back and find, if you would, please, Mark chapter number 9. As we see the Lord speak of the awful suffering of hell. Notice what he says again in verse 43. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and their fire is not quenched. In verse 45, when he speaks about cutting off the foot, he says it is better uh, to enter it halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Again, in verse number 47, he said, It is better to pluck your eye out than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. 
Verse 48, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. You say, Pastor, do you believe in hell? Absolutely, I believe in hell. You say, why do you believe in hell? I believe in hell for the same reason I believe in heaven. Because Jesus said heaven exists, and because Jesus said hell exists. And do you know that the Lord Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven? Why did he speak of hell? Because he wants people to go there? Oh, no. He spoke of hell because he is warning people of the awful condemnation and judgment and death that awaits them in an awful place like hell. And he is warning them of the danger of hell so that they will repent and turn from their sin and turn to him and receive everlasting life. Do you know that hell is a place prepared for the devil and his angels? Heaven is a place prepared for you. And if you will receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will secure your place in heaven. But if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not go to the place where he has prepared for you in John chapter 14 and verse number 2. But you will go to the place, Matthew 25, 14, that was prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, sin, when left alone, destroys the life of the sinner and results in death. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. It's not just simply a physical death. It is an eternal, everlasting, spiritual death in an awful place of suffering and sorrow called hell. Now, concerning the suffering of hell, we note two things this morning. Number one, we note that there is an unquenchable fire an unquenchable fire. Notice again in verse 45, he speaks of the fire that never shall be quenched. Verse 43, the fire that never shall be quenched. Verse 47, he calls it hell fire. Verse 48, the fire is not quenched. Hell is a place of unquenchable fire. Jesus called it a place of outer darkness. There's no light. It's a place of darkness. He also called it in Matthew 13 and verse 42, a furnace of fire. And he called it in Matthew 22 and verse 13, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Luke chapter 16, he gives us a description of it. I, I'd like to invite your attention there, if you would please turn with me to Luke chapter number 16 and verse number 19. Luke chapter number 16 and verse number 19. We find the Lord Jesus Christ giving us a very descriptive picture of this place called hell. In verse 19, he begins with the record of a man. He said, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at the gate, at his gate rather, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels 
into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes. Let me just pause here and say this to you. This verse does not teach that those who are rich and prosperous in this life will go to hell, while those who are poor will go to heaven. That is not what is being taught here. We have the record of two individuals, one who is a believer, one who is not a believer. The man who is a believer is a poor man. His name is Lazarus. The Bible tells us that he has sores, and he's laying at the gate of the rich man. The rich man is not a believer, and he demonstrates the fact that he is not a believer by his lack of compassion and care for this poor man. By the way, as God's people, we must extend compassion and care toward all people. And when we do not have a heart of compassion and care, that is a a revelation of the presence of sin in our life and could be the revelation of the fact that we truly do not know the Lord Jesus as our Savior. Now, there's so many social ramifications to our world today. We're not talking about a man who has the ability to work and isn't. We're talking about a man who is in need and has no ability. And we're talking about a man who had power to help him, yet had no compassion. And therefore, it revealed that he was not a believer in the Lord. And regardless of your station in life, whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor, if you reject Jesus Christ, you will end up in hell. And this rich man, as a non-believer, is in hell. And this poor man, as a believer, is now in heaven. And so here we see the scene as it unfolds for us. And as we look at this scene, we find in verse 23, and in hell he lift up his eyes. I can see the scene. Everybody's gathered together at the funeral of the rich man. And they're, they're showering their accolades and delivering their eulogies, and they're extending to his widow their compassion and their sympathies. But all the while, where is this man? He's not lying in a casket. He's not in some unknown state floating around in the cosmos. No, he is in a place called hell. And when he opened his eyes, after he closed them in death in this life, he opened them in hell in the next life. And notice what the Bible says about this place. In hell he lift up his eyes being in torments. And he seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Here he is. He awakens to the fact that he's in hell and he is in torments. The Bible says it's unquenchable fire. And what does a man in unquenchable fire desire to have more than anything? Would you send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and touch and cool my tongue? He doesn't ask for much, does he? Just a drop. Just a drop, all that a fingertip can carry to cool my tongue. Hell is a place of unquenchable fire. And if you reject Jesus, 
and go to hell, you'll be in that place of unquenchable fire. Not only is it a place of unquenchable fire, but I want you to see it is a place of unending death. It is a place of unending death. Now hold your place in Luke and go back to Mark chapter 9. We're going to go right back into Luke. Notice again in verse 43, he speaks of hell, the fire that never shall be quenched. Verse 44, where their worm dieth not. Again in verse 46, where their worm dieth not. Verse 48, where their worm dieth not. Now, as the Lord Jesus Christ is, is speaking to the disciples, they're aware of a valley called Gehenna. It is the place that is the trash heap for all the people uh, of the area. And there, all of the waste and all of the refuse was carried. All of the dead, decaying animals, the carcasses, are carried to Gehenna. And the place is on fire. Because all of the waste is being consumed in the fire. And if you poked around in that area, you would find the dead carcasses of animals inhabited by the hordes of the worms that infested and fed on those, day, those dying and decaying bodies. All of us have seen unsightly things like that before. And the Lord Jesus Christ is dealing here and he's using this picture that these men know all too well to demonstrate to them that in hell, this place of unquenchable fire, it is also a place of unending death where the worms never stop feeding. Because hell is a place of eternal death. He says, their worm dieth not. Go back with me to Luke 17. Verse number 25, remember the conversation between Lazarus. He just wants a, just, 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 just a drop of water to cool his tongue. Perhaps wondering when will this torment end? Luke 17, verse 25, but Abraham said, son, Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good things, and likewise Lazarus evil. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented, and beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. There's no way out. There's no way to get to you. When you're in hell, you're there forever, friends. We believe the Bible teaches human history somewhere around 6,000 years, years old, and we think about Cain, and Cain died, and he went to hell. And think about this. He's been there ever since. And he's not one day closer to getting out than he was the day he went there is a place of unending death. There is no escape. There is no mercy. There is only regret. 
Notice what he says. Remember in your lifetime. Friend, in hell, you are going to remember every time you heard the gospel. You're going to remember every time you rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to remember and regret every opportunity that you ever had to come to Jesus, and in pride you said, no, I won't come. It's a place of unending death. Notice this in verse 27. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. Knowing no hope for him, what does he do? He says, I want you to send Lazarus back to my family. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Do you know what adds to the suffering of those who are in hell? Is when their loved ones join them. It is a place of unending death. And moment after moment, as lost souls go into eternity, there is yet another reminder of this unending death. And their worm dieth not. The severity of sin, the suffering of hell, you know that Jesus Christ took the severity of our sin when he died on the cross? Jesus, the Son of God, equal to God, eternal with God, who enjoyed fellowship with God the Father through all eternity past, became sin for us. He was separated from his Father. He bore the wrath of God's judgment on sin on the cross of Calvary, he shed his blood and died for you and me so that we would not have to go to hell. Now, friend, if there's no hell, then God is a monster to put his son through such suffering. But there is a hell, and he suffered for you and I. And he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you know that you can escape hell? You can't escape it once you get there, but you can escape it now because Jesus has made the way. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that Jesus stands ready today to receive you. He said in John chapter 6, all that cometh to me, he said, all that the Father giveth to me cometh to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Jesus will not reject you. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, who you are, the color of your skin, the money in the bank, or the lack thereof. The guilt, the shame, you bring it all to Jesus. And let me tell you what he's going to do, friend. He's going to receive you, and he's going to forgive you, and he's going to deliver you from an eternity in hell, and he's going to give you a home in heaven. Would you receive him today? Would you receive him today? I was seven years old. I was in Bible school. I heard the gospel. I had heard it before, but not like I heard it that day because the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I knew one thing. I didn't want to go to hell. And I asked Jesus to be my Savior. And he saved me. And he gave me a home in heaven. And he'll do the same for you.
if you'll come to him. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.